worship team. Happy Father's Day, first and foremost. I'm growing to love that song that we just sang because it is such an amazing reminder that often we come into this place on a Sunday morning and Christ has not been our treasure and he has not been what satisfied us. But that's why we come and that's why we gather because this is where we're reminded that he really, that that is a truth that we need to be reminded of. And so we come together and we're reminded that he truly is our treasure. He is what satisfies us. And so my prayer this morning is that we would see that, that the Spirit would guide us and show us that once again. So we've been walking through the book of Exodus. We're going to actually take a, a short break from that today and go back to a topic that we actually started talking about on Mother's Day, our union with Christ. And on Mother's Day, if you were here, I pointed out two metaphors that the scriptures speak of that help us to better understand our union with Christ. We talked about John 15, that we are like branches that are grafted into Jesus, the vine, our vine. And so he supplies our spiritual life and causes us to grow. And then we looked at Ephesians 5, and we saw there that we are like a bride, and Jesus is like our husband. So that means that now everything that is ours belongs to him, and everything that is his now belongs to us. And so we get the, the benefit of that, right? Because he gets all of our sin, and we get all of his righteousness. And this means that if you're in Christ, all that is true about Christ and who he is, God looks at you, and that's what he sees, and so any accusations from Satan have to go through Christ before they hit you. That's why we can celebrate Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Today, what I want to do is I want to focus in on how this union with Christ doesn't just unite us with him, but it also unites us with one another. And I really wasn't even planning on talking about this until I started really diving into this doctrine of union with Christ for the Mother's Day message. And as I looked at the, the scriptures, I was surprised because almost always when our union with Christ is being brought up and, and really focused in on, it's in the context of unity within the, the church family, the church body. And so I didn't have really enough time to really flesh that out on Mother's Day, so I figured, well, we'll just come back to this on Father's Day and we'll dive a little bit deeper into it. And so I, I think this is a timely message also. I know many of us are just heartbroken over the division that we see in our, our nation. The social media is just frustrating. The news is frustrating, just continues to help amplify the divisions. And unfortunately, the divisive climate has really infiltrated the church too, I think Satan probably loves watching us squabble over third-tier issues on Twitter, right? And so there, there's so many things in our world right now that are just made to divide us and are trying to just pull us apart. But this is what I want us to really think about today. That God has given us a powerful glue. I want you to think about this. The same power that unites us to Christ that says things like we read in uh, Romans 8, that, that there is nothing in all of this world that can separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus. The same power that makes that promise now dwells in us and also unites us together as a church body. 
And that's what I want us to dwell on. That's what I want us to really celebrate this morning as we take a look at a couple passages that really highlight this glorious truth. We're going to take a look at Galatians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4. And so if you've got the virtual bulletin, you can look in there. But we're going to start in Galatians 3, so go ahead and turn there. But let me, let me go ahead and pray before we really dive into this passage. Father, often our attempts at unity fall short. And this morning, I, I want to thank you and praise you for uniting us with you and providing what we cannot, a, a glue that is stronger and more powerful than any divisive wedge that Satan or our sin or a broken world can throw at us. And so this morning, Lord, I plead with you that you would grant us by your Spirit a greater humility, a willingness to forgive, an eagerness for peace, and a willingness to, to bear one another's burdens in love, and a desire to build one another up with the truths of the gospel that unite us in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Galatians chapter 3, let me give you a little context before we read this passage. Galatians is a letter from the Apostle Paul. He's very concerned about this group of Jewish converts to Christianity that have been distorting, as he says, the gospel. And they've been distorting the message that Paul's been preaching. They've been coming behind him and basically they've been saying that, okay, to become a Christian, you first have to become a Jew through circumcision. Okay, so that's what they're saying to people. So instead of salvation by grace alone through faith alone, they're saying it's by grace through faith plus or and something else. And Paul is saying in Galatians that when you have when you have that word and you're distorting the gospel. In fact, he calls it a whole different gospel. Whenever you try to add something to the gospel, you end up changing the gospel. Whenever you try to help the gospel, you end up hurting the gospel. And so this group of con- Jewish converts that are, and it's funny because he calls them the circumcision, circumcision group. Okay, kind of a weird nickname to give them, if you think about it. But they, they've distorted the gospel in such a way that they've created this extra unnecessary, very painful barrier, especially for Gentiles to become Christians, right? And, and of course, this is causing great division within the church. There's even this example that Paul gives of where Peter in Antioch is kind of acting like a, a middle schooler. No offense if you're in middle school right now. But it, this is the scene, right? So Peter has been in Antioch. He's hanging out with the Gentiles. He's eating with them. And all of a sudden, this circumcision group comes in, and they're, they're these Jewish converts. And you've got to remember, Peter is a Jewish convert, right? And so he kind of fears this group, and so he leaves his table with the Gentiles to go sit with the cool kids. And not only that, there's other Jewish converts that see him do this, and so even Barnabas leaves and follows Peter and does the same thing. And Paul's like, I, I can't stand for this. You're not in step with the gospel. And so he publicly opposes Peter right to his face because of this, because they were out of step with the gospel. And so Paul spends most of this letter to the Galatians, trying to clarify the gospel, trying to declutter the gospel and helping them see the true purpose of the law. And so he clarifies for them that the purpose of the law is not to gain God's favor or God's acceptance, but the purpose of the law 
is to, to, to guard you and to really to help point you to your need for Christ. So the purpose of the law is not to justify you before God, but to point that you need to find your justification from something else, from a Savior. So pick up with me in verse 23, and we'll kind of try to flesh this out a little bit more. Verse 23, Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Okay, what in the world is Paul saying here? He's saying that the reason God gave the law through Moses, okay, like the Ten Commandments and all the rules that we see in the Old Testament, the reason that God gave the law through Moses was to guard us, to keep us really from destroying ourselves. It's kind of like guardrails to live by. So in one sense, the law of God protects us, but also another, in another sense, he says it's a guardian who constantly does this, points out all your flaws. And in fact, one commentary that I was reading on this passage called this guardian or called the law like a harsh nanny that's constantly just nagging you and, and, and showing you what you're doing that is wrong. And so the purpose of the law is to show us that we don't measure up, that we always fall short. And this is actually a good thing because it points us to Christ. It points us that we need to be justified in a different way. We need to find favor in God's eyes through a different way other than the works of the law. So it teaches us to seek out Christ. Verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And so in other words, we are no longer under the law. We, we don't need a nanny watching over us. Why? Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So now in Christ, we are justified through faith, not through works. Now in Christ, we are also declared children of God. In Christ, we are adopted into his family. And this is what that means. Look at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so remember, when we physically baptize somebody in water, there is a deeper, that's symbolic, there's something deeper going on there. It's, it's a symbol of us being united to Christ in his death and his resurrection. And so to put on Christ, as Paul says here, in a sense it's to be clothed by Christ. It's kind of like the prodigal son. When the prodigal son comes home, what does the father do? He puts a robe on him. And so Christ is like this, this royal robe that we all wear. Our, our status before God and our identity is radically and forever changed. And so Paul is saying, look, the good news is that all who trust in Jesus share in this same glorious reality. That's the point that he's making here. And it means, verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so circumcision or no circumcision, it doesn't matter. In fact, I love what Paul does here. He lists off three of the things that tend to divide us, right? Our race or our gender or our social status. He says they do not matter when it comes to the, the benefits of being united to Christ. If, if you're in Christ, we all wear the same royal robe. We're all part of the same family. And, and so 
we, we have this bond that's bigger and it's, it's better than the color of our skin or whether we're male or female. It's bigger and better than our social status or how much money we make or how educated we are or, or where we live or what kind of job we have. And so Paul's point is because we share in this union with him, with Christ, we also share in this union with each other. And I want us to move from there to Ephesians chapter 4 now. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, what we see is Paul teaching us how we ought to live in light of this union together with Christ. And so go ahead and flip over to Ephesians 4. Our union with Christ in the book of Ephesians is mentioned in this short little letter is mentioned 20 times, over 20 times actually. And unity is a major theme throughout the book. In chapter 1, we, Paul sets the tone right away. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through the blood for the, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which are, he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Listen, to unite, so the gospel, then he says, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And then from there, so he sets the tone saying, look, the gospel is here and it is here to unite all things to him. Then in chapter 2, uh, what's he mean by all things? He kind of fleshes that out, and you're probably sick of me talking about chapter 2 at this point. But the, the whole second half of chapter 2 is about the unity between the Jews and the Gentiles that is now possible because of them being in Christ. Paul uses the analogy of a, a temple or a dwelling place of God where believers are like stones being built up together and Christ is the cornerstone. And then right away at the beginning of chapter 3, he starts off by talking about this great mystery of the gospel that has been revealed to him that the Gentiles have been welcomed into the family of God. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are, listen to the language here, fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so that brings us to chapter 4, and at the beginning of chapter 4, this is kind of the pivot point of the letter, so the first three chapters have been all about, okay, what the gospel is, and now, starting in chapter 4, this is how we ought to live in light of the gospel. And so he says this in verse 1, I therefore, and so in light of everything that I've just said about the gospel, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so in light of the gospel, this is how we ought to live. Look at verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So we see here in verse 2 that there's five attributes that should characterize us as believers. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, an eagerness for peace and, and unity. I mean, can you imagine if in the United States these were our core values? How that would change uh, social media, how that would change the news, how that would change politics, how that would change our churches. As believers, we ought to be eager 
for the church to characterize these attributes. He goes on, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is, it, who is over all and through all and in all. Notice the sevenfold use of the word one. What seven typically symbolize in the Bible? Completeness, fullness, perfection. Why are we to be eager to maintain unity? Well, first, because there is one body. The body of Christ, we're all members of. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul expands on this metaphor. And he uses it to show that unity is not uniformity. Okay? Unity is not uniformity. Yes, we are members of the same body, but each member is different and plays a unique and significant role. No one member is more important than the other, and no one member is able to properly function apart from the other members. And so we read in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And so for a healthy church to exist, we need both unity and diversity in the body. And then, do you remember what comes right after 1 Corinthians 12? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 13, I know. <laughs> but that's the love chapter, right? That's, that's the chapter we read at weddings. And we need to remember that that chapter, when it talks about love is kind, love, love is patient, love is kind, and all these things about love that we, we love to read about, that's not in the context of marriage. That's not in the context of Paul talking about romantic love. That's in the context of him talking about the unity and the love that we ought to have together as a church family. It's a great passage, but let's read it in the context that it was meant to be read in. We should be eager to maintain this unity, this peace, this love, because we are all part of the same body. Second, there is one spirit that dwells in us and empowers us to display the attributes of love and peace and patience and humility and gentleness that he's talking about here. You, you probably recognize those attributes from the fruits of the Spirit, right? And, and let's remember that they're the fruits of the Spirit. They're not the fruits of us working really hard to try to muster these characteristics up, right? Apart from the Spirit, there is no hope of us growing in these things. There's no, because there is only one hope, he says, one hope. One Lord, Jesus Christ. There's one faith through which we are saved and we are sanctified and one day we'll be glorified together. <clears throat> one baptism into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. One God who is sovereign and worthy of our worship. One God that is right now on his throne and one day we will, with every tongue, tribe, and nation, be surrounding his throne along with the angels singing Re Revelation chapter 7, right? If you've ever gotten a chance to go on a mission trip or go outside the country and worship with another culture, it's an amazing experience because even though you don't quite understand all the words that they're saying, there's a strong bond that you feel because you know that this is a picture of what's to come someday. In Christ, there's a beautiful oneness that we should long for. Well, back in Ephesians, 
as Paul continues, he says in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he goes on to talk about the various gifts that are, that are given to believers to, to build up the church body. I want you to skip down to verse 11, and I want to point out just a few things here. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So he lifts, lists off different leadership roles within the church. And, and next he shares the purpose of their leadership. Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so my role as pastor, elder, teacher, shepherd, it is not to do all the ministry and just let everybody else watch me do it, right? No, my role as a pastor is to equip the church for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body. Now, often, well, this is what we do with this passage. Because of our hyper uh, focus on being individualized, okay? Our hyper-individualized world. We look at this passage and we think, okay, the pastor's role is to help me learn how to better have a quiet time, how to better have a, a, a private prayer life, how to better read my Bible. And, and all those things are good and they're, they're helpful and they're true, but that's, I don't think that's what Paul has in mind if you look at the context of this passage, right? Think about it. The context of this passage, what's going on here? He's talking about to build up the body here, and it, it seems like he's talking about the community. He's talking about building family. He's talking about building the, the unity within the church, and it's through this unity that God grows us. Look down at verse 13. Okay, so again, 12, to equip the saints, do the ministry, the building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So I, I've said this before. Mercy Hill ought to be filled with manure. Okay, and I, I say that not to like gross you out but so that you will remember it because what is manure? It's, it's fertile soil, right? It is, it is the soil that, that helps plants grow best. Now, it may smell at times, right? It, it may uh, have conflict because there's sin. People are going to get on your nerves at some point, okay, as you live in manure, right? But that is the context by which God has ordained that we grow, we sharpen one another. And, and so it's through the unity and the diversity within the church that God has designated for us to best grow. And so this implies if you pluck yourself out of the church, it is very difficult for you to grow, right? But it also implies that when you are firmly planted in a church family, God strengthens your roots and he uses your brothers and your sisters to help keep the weeds out of your garden. That's what he's saying in this passage, that he helps correct, they help correct your, your, your doctrine, your false doctrine, so you don't drift away. And, and notice, this is how it works. In verse 15, uh, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. Listen to the language. Into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, with, which is equipped with each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
Now, speaking the truth in love, let's talk about that. It's the primary means here that he's talking about that God has given us to grow up in every way. And again, look at the language here. Into him who is the head. Into Christ. That We see the union of Christ there is a, is a big factor. Now, often we think about speaking the truth in love, and we think about it this way, that Paul is basically giving us permission to point out other people's flaws, even if we don't really have a relationship with them, as long as we do it with a gentle tone. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here, though. Now, there are other places in Scripture that talk about how we ought to be willing to rebuke our brothers and sisters in Christ in a gentle way, but I, I think that best happens when you actually have a relationship with them and they already know that you care for them and you love them. But I think what, what's going on here is a little bit different. I, I think that perhaps what Paul has in mind here is that we see the, the, the context. In the context, Paul is talking about the unity and the maturity of the church. And so look back in the previous verse, Paul is pointing out that the building up of one another helps us to not drift towards false doctrine. And then the word rather connects verses 14 and 15. So rather, instead of allowing others to be tossed to and fro and drift to false doctrine, we are to what? Speak the truth in love. In other words, we are to draw people deeper into Christ by reminding and teaching them the truths of the gospel. And again, look at the language Paul's using here. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, once you're in Christ, I don't think that you can become more in Christ. But you can become, listen carefully, you can become more aware of your union with Christ. And that's key. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. We grow one another as we speak the truth of the gospel to one another, and the result is that God grows our awareness of our union with him. And so let me conclude with this. Let's, let's just talk about some very practical ways that this plays out on a Sunday morning when we gather together. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, so when we come into this place on a Sunday morning and we sing together, we gather and we, we sing, what are we doing? We're singing the gospel with each other, but we're also singing the gospel to one another. In fact, there's researchers in Sweden who have discovered that when choirs or, or congregations sing together, not only are they harmonizing their voices, but also they're synchronizing their, their heartbeats. And so when we sing together, our physical and our spiritual hearts are beating together as we sing about the gospel and as we sing about the truths. And so we're reminding one another the gospel and we're becoming more aware of the union, union that we have with Christ and that unites us together. And of course, that happens also not just when we're singing together, but when we're, you're hearing the gospel being preached, when we're reading about the gospel, when we're praying about the gospel. And then also think about our baptism and communion, right? Baptism. We're speaking the truth in love when we celebrate baptisms together. Uh, in, in the waters of baptism, God is impressing upon our bodies the truth and the reality of our union with him and to his his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. 
Baptism, in other words, is a visible and it's a tangible experience of the gospel allowing us to experience in our bodies the truth that we are immersed forever in Christ. And then finally, communion, which we're about to celebrate here. We speak, we speak the truth in love when we share communion. There's a reason why we call it communion, right? We're coming together, united as a community. Each week we do this. And in the bread and in the juice the Lord's, of the Lord's Supper, God impresses in our bodies the truth and the reality of our ongoing union with Christ. The Lord's Supper, in other words, it's a visible and an edible experience of the gospel that Christ dwells in us and that we dwell in him. And he continues to nourish and to sustain us. And so today, let's remember that this, uh, this is not just something we walk through. This is not just a ritual that we do on a weekly basis. This is an opportunity for us to be reminded of the truths of the gospel that unite us with Christ and with one another. And so let's pray that God would help us to, to continue to grow in our awareness of this union and that in the midst of us being reminded of that and made more aware of that, that would grow us in unity as a body. Father, we need you to do this as a miracle. Our hearts easily drift away from you. And we are very quick to look to other things and unite our, ourselves with things of this world. And so we need this reminder that your blood covers us, that you have robed us with your grace and your mercy. And that, I pray that that ever-present reality, we would become more aware of that and that in the midst of of this room, in the midst of our family, we would feel a, a stronger bond because of our awareness of our union with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you're a, a visitor with us and you're a believer, we would encourage you to, to join us in this celebration of communion. There are stations up here and there's one in the back. Again, the juice represents Christ's blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sins bread represents his body given to us. I would encourage you during this time to, to really dwell and meditate on your union with Christ and how that bonds us together. If you've got, if you're, you've been coming for a while and you, you're wanting to get more connected, I would love to talk to you more about that and, and what's involved, kind of next steps with that. If you've got questions about what it means to be united with Christ or salvation or baptism or anything else we've talked about. Don't leave today until you get those questions answered. This is time for us to give generously and, and graciously. If you're a visitor, don't feel obligated, but we've got boxes up here and there's one on your way out also. If you need just somebody to pray with, I would love to pray with you. I would love to celebrate with you if God is working in your heart, but I'll be in the back. You come as God is calling you to respond.